matchmaker. Subtitles, where we spike the canon in music and movies. In each episode, we will offer up replacements for each title in the top 100 of a well-known, well-regarded ranking, and we'll walk away with a pair of subtitles, which we think deserve more acclaim and to which attention must be paid. I'm Matt, and I'm replacing the top 100 entries on Spin Magazine's 2015 list of the top 300 albums from 1985 until 2015 starting with number one and working down. I'm Tim. I'm replacing the entries on the 2007 AFI 100 Years 100 Movies list, starting with number 100 and working up. So here's how this works. The two of us have gone through each list, decided on a theme of the original entry, and have come up with a pair of potential replacement titles which share that theme. We'll talk about that original entry. Sometimes we'll regret that we have to get rid of it, and sometimes we'll rejoice in being able to drop it. But this podcast is not just another dissection of an outmoded list. In part one of this episode, I have two new albums to talk through, and Tim will make the choice for the subtitles albums list. Then, in part two, Tim will have two new movies to discuss, and I will decide which of them deserves a place on the subtitles movies list. Sometimes I will have seen the movies, and sometimes Tim will have listened to the albums. But at the end of the day, what matters is how well we've sold the titles. And at the end of some of those days, one of us will want to bop the other for that choice. And once we finish this off, we'll do some fun activities with the new lists we've collaborated on. But before we can get there, we have to do this. Today's title to be replaced is Loveless, My Bloody Valentine's 1991 album. Okay, so I've been listening to a bunch of kind of two different things over the last week. One of them is Shoegaze, which is what we're going to talk about today because My Bloody Valentine. And the other is a lot of post-hardcore music in the vein of like Influenced by Thursday. So stuff like Touche Amore, who have a new album out. It's very good, as all of their albums are, and like Law Dispute and um, bands like that. Um, and I bring this up, A, because there's not a lot of opportunity the spin lifts gives me to talk about post-hardcore, so I'm just going to give it some mention anytime I can. But B, because I think, uh, in a weird way, we can see the legacy of shoegaze um, as understated or as unknown, perhaps, as it is, in something like post-hardcore, which... Right, you listen to a Touche Amore album, you're not going to mistake it for My Bloody Valentine. That's not a thing. But the the focus on sound and its emotional impact, and like sound, not for sound's sake, in the way of like Nabokov's dumb art for art's sake thing, um, or that like art is never political. Not that, but like sound as an emotional barometer and um, as um, like emotional landscaping in a way where it's not all focused on kind of the lyrics and the sound just sort of accentuates or like demonstrates proficiency. But for an album like Loveless and the two replacements we're going to talk about today, where sound, where music, where melody, where beat, where everything kind of comes together in a soup that can seem very daunting at first and very off-putting, um, but it's something to be lived in. And 
think that's a, a message that post-hardcore takes up in a way, where the soundscapes become catharsis. Um, you know, like Law Dispute is particularly good at this, where you'll get these like just incredibly intense songs that never really have the full moment of like release. And I think that's much of the point. Um, whereas like in a traditional rock song, like it builds and builds and you might get some sort of feeling from it. And then you have like the big solo moment or like the big, um, sort of musical climax. And I think post hardcore avoids that to a larger degree. You know, they, they, like, those are still albums that rip, they can go, they can go when they're ready, but they also deny that to some degree. And I think this comes from shoegaze largely, um, and that's something that all three albums we're looking at today, I think, are especially good at, like, subverting expectation in that way and really just making you, like, like draping you in a, a world of sound to live in. And um, I think for two of the examples, like, we can see them sometimes, uh, you get moments of that catharsis, but mostly you're just awash in... Um, you know, whatever inner dreamscape they want you in. Um, so there's a long, like, preface to getting into what I've already said we're talking about today, which is shoegaze. Um, so we're going to move back. And this is a genre, and part of what I wanted to do there in, in talking through that perhaps odd connection uh, is to say that I think this is a genre that is deeply influential and that most people are kind of familiar with what it's up to, even if they couldn't tell you what like the genre proper is, or they, or they don't recognize a bunch of the bands in it. Um, My Bloody Valentine being probably the exception here. Like, that's definitely a band with cachet. Um, I don't know how wide, though. And that's sort of what I'm getting at here. Like, I don't know how popular these things still are, except for people who, like, lived through it, or like me, who just kind of obsessively listen to things. Um, but the touchstones of shoegaze, I think you can see that in a lot of stuff happening today. And I think it's a genre that like, would have a lot of purchase if it became popular again, or if these albums were rediscovered. Um, I think this is something that a lot of people could latch on to. So, in a way, you know, in prepping for this episode, I was thinking, like, is this another thing like... Sonic Youth or Pavement or something like that that feels um, like still important but definitely of its era, uh, even if it feels vital in places. Um, I don't think so. I think it's definitely a moment that happened in the early 90s. Like that's certainly the crest. But I think the ripple effects of shoegaze we can still see a lot of today. Um, you know, I mentioned post-hardcore, but just much more explicitly in stuff like dream pop or noise rock and noise pop. Um, to metal in some degree. I'm going to talk about that with one of the bands that we can see that, that technique and sort of that ethos of music making coming through. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw to Tim here in a second, who has experienced these albums for the first time very recently. Um, so I want to get that kind of perspective that you have, but I think these are things that if people listen to them, like, yeah, that was definitely a moment that happened in the early nineties, but these are still things that feel fresh and that feel, exciting in some way and that feel not stuck in time but just that maybe people don't know the specific reference points so um as i said tim listened to these for the first time and i think generally like them but i'm just curious like what what is sort of your reaction and like why 
I mean, was it just that you had like not heard of these things before, or like they just don't come up much? Uh, I will say that I had never heard the term shoegaze so many times, and still until we started doing this uh, podcast together. So that was that was new to me, literally. And I had heard of My Bloody Valentine, but I had not uh, come along to the other two bands that we're gonna be chatting about today. Um, but it, it did appeal to me a whole lot. And I think part of it is kind of the thing that I've been talking about a fair bit as we've gone through this already. Uh, I know that as we went through the, the My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy episode, the Introducing episode, the Daydream Nation episode, like for me, the sound of uh, what was going on was because I'm not as familiar with most of the albums, but like if I went back and listened or had the description, I found myself very susceptible to this idea that the sound is its own its own piece of work um, on top of the lyrics, which is not, you know, a deep thought or anything. But I, I find that really appealing. I find that sort of symphonic idea to be a very interesting one because people tend to leave the symphonic stuff for, you know, your classical music, quote-unquote. I found this, I found uh, all three of these just, like, really good listens, like, things that I enjoyed listening to, um, and Loveless was, for me, the best one of the bunch, which is probably not a surprising thought, um, but yeah, they were, they were enjoyable, they sort of appealed to, uh, a type of music that I like, which is that, you know, it tends to be sort of a fuller sound, it tends to be more maximalist, to reuse a term, um, and, and it uses that, that unusual sound, the unusual stuff going on in, with the guitar in particular on, uh, on Loveless. All of that just seemed very, I don't know, I just liked it a whole lot. It put me in the right state of mind. That, that's where I will put this. It just sort of like put me in a headspace I liked. Yeah, the, oh God, that opening guitar on Only Shallow is one of my favorite moments in, in 90s music, like period. Um, I, We'll talk about that in a moment, but I will say that too that uh, not that they need our, I guess, stamp of approval. But <laughs> <laughs> Rob Harvila uh, on The Ringer is doing a new series of like '90s music and '60 songs, and I, I desperately hope that only Shallow makes an appearance. I think it needs to, um, but I would also love to hear because he's pulling in people who can talk about like like the actual technique and like music theory behind it. And I would love to hear someone talk about that. Um, but let's quickly say, okay, here's what shoegaze, shoegaze is. Um, because maybe you listening have not heard it so much as me yammering about it in these past couple minutes. <laughs> um, basically. So I think there's two important things here. And I, I personally came to them and, maybe a weird way. So the first way I had of conceiving of shoegaze, and this was something I, I forget where I even got it from, but like, this was something I learned years ago and that was kind of how I thought about it, but was such that the mixing, um, is focused on making everything sound, you know, I mentioned soupy earlier and, and generally that's like denigration, but I mean that in a kind of literal way here, like where everything kind of melts together and you can be a bit unsure at points. Like if you're not listening very closely, what instrument is doing what and stuff is all just kind of working together. And it's this very fluid, very, um, 
aqueous kind of solution of music um, and that and that's built into the mixing um, built into the production of the thing um, obviously you know again if you're listening closely you can figure out like okay that's the symbol like that's the you know that's the guitar over there that's the bass but like if you just kind of let it wash over you it's all a, like a, a singular wall of sound really and this is something that's particularly important when these bands play live. I've not seen any of these bands live, but from all I've heard from shoegaze bands is that it is loud and that like puncturing your eardrums loud. Um, and that kind of gets into the spirit of it in a way, because it, it's music that it's really trying to bring you into kind of a dreamscape and it's very insular in a way in the sense that like you have to experience it insularly because it is so fluid. It can be so loud. It is so um, packed and stuffed that like, this is not music you go and see live and you're like chatting with your friends on the side. Like some like that happens at rock concerts in particular. I see that all the time, but I see this as like, there's just so much happening that you have to sit there and be in that space and be in that music and, and live in that. Um, and so it's simultaneously that like sticking you in your own self. And also it accentuates like, like the vocals and, and most of this music and most of these songs too is, is put right into that mix where it's like, it's just happening with everything else. And it, and, there's good lyricists across these bands. There's interesting lyrics, but like they're almost secondary to the sort of the um, mellifluousness of it all. Um, that like the melody of the, whatever, <laughs> um, like the melody of the vocals is more important almost than everything else because it's working in supplement with the instruments. Um, I'm trying to say mellifluous and <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Um, so that was kind of the first way I learned it, that, like, when you hear everything, like, it's very distorted, it's very produced, it's very uh, effects-heavy, um, and such that all of it kind of works together into, and it kind of makes itself a solution. Like, you don't have solid parts, you have this solution of sound, and I mean that in, like, the scientific way. Um and then as I went along, I learned that like the, the name literally comes from the guitars in particular. So effects heavy that there were so many pedals and these giant pedal boards that when bands are playing it live, they're just looking down all the time because they're playing the pedals with their feet. So the sense that like you're just gazing at your shoes the whole time you're playing because you have to, you know, get the pedals in the, in the right order and have the right effects going at the right time. Um, so fairly complex music to play live, but that, I guess that's literally where the term comes from, which makes sense. But I think both of those things are important um, because it references how uh, effects heavy this music is, how distorted and um, um, kind of chopped in places and just how how much the, these bands are experimenting with sound and the different things that you can get out of instruments. Um, but then also that very insular vibe to it, that kind of sort of dreamscape, that like vague psychedelia um, that comes with it. Um, and again, like you can hear the, the remnants of this and stuff like Dream Pop and, and Chill Wave and certain metal bands like Sludge is not totally unrelated to this. Um, 
and just like how lurching that sort of metal is and like how everything is just kind of like descending upon you at once um so that's shoegaze itself and we're gonna let's get into my bloody valentine here and tim said that loveless was the best of the three that he heard and that's like important to know but i think also unsurprising i've looked at a bunch of lists ranking uh shoegaze albums just because i got curious did not see one that loveless is not number one on i think it has to be i think that's right Um, (laughs) i think it's it's footprint and its influence is just titanic in in like every sense of the word like um and i'm sure someone a few people have personal lists out there where it's not number one but like anything published on a site Loveless is number one. And indeed, one of the other albums we're going to talk about, generally, like, 98% of the time, I think, is number two. Um, and just to that, like, while I'm here, the three that we're talking about today are one, two, and three on Pitchfork's list of shoegaze albums. So I'm not picking anything, like, far afield here today or, like, sleeper picks, um, precisely because I think this is a genre that even if we can hear it in other things and after this, maybe you notice it in some of the stuff that you do listen to. Um, I don't think these are bands that are all that popular right now. Um, despite what their, I think their legacy far outstrips their name recognition. Um, so loveless again, always number one on these lists deservedly. So my bloody Valentine releases, isn't anything in 1988, which is also considered basically a stone cold classic. And that's sort of the beginning of this, the subgenre. Um, and loveless <clears throat> considered another classic perfect by many people. And that this loveless comes out in 91 and my bloody Valentine went until 2014 until they released the third album, um, just entitled MBV. And considered very, very good. I don't know that it has Stone Cold Classic level yet, but like every like regularly great reviews, very well regarded album. And who knows if we'll ever see another album from them? Um, you know, I think I suffer as a Tool fan, but 1991 to 2014 is something. <laughs> um, and it's one of those bands that the band definitely is important, and they play together, and what they can do together is. Um, Right, that that is the effect, but it's certainly led by one of those kind of mastermind musicians, and that's Kevin Shields in this case, who I think on Loveless um, played basically everything except drums on a couple tracks, um, and is notoriously a perfectionist and just a studio rat, and such that the do you have numbers that I'm about to say too, or what's going on? Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say the the story on this album is that uh, it was recorded between 19 different studios with in excess of 40 different engineers, though I think like 15 of them are actually credited or something around there. Um, Working with Brian Eno on a few tracks, so experimental pop bona fides of Brian Eno, well-established. and again, Shields writes almost and records almost everything, um, except for a few things. But just think about that. Like This is an album that, because of, of Shields' perfectionism, went between 19 studios and over 40 different engineers. That's insane. And it almost bankrupt, bankrupted the, the record label. Um, 
but this is it's the same record label that would benefit from <clears throat> the shoegaze explosion after Loveless, and also would sign Oasis later on. So they'll be fine. Don't worry about them. But yeah, Tim, what were you gonna say? Well, I was gonna well, say that I was gonna say that they uh, they recorded it over the space of like thirty months or something. Like, how many albums are recorded over the space of thirty months? You can have a person by then, like from birth to like you know toddler running around and screaming all night. You could you could have two people by that, <laughs> um, but yeah. So that like, if you're wondering, man, why is a band that's so well regarded taking so long to release albums? That's why. Um, I'm actually honestly impressed that we got one four year, like only a four year gap between two of them. Um, so my bloody Valentine drops Loveless and then largely like disappears in terms of making new things. I think they would pop back up and perform every so often. Um, but Shoegaze really takes off after this. Um, and like that 1990, we'll say to like 1994 is sort of its era. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of the, it's a lot of British bands. Um, my bloody Valentine or, or a lot of British and Irish, um, sort of that area bands, my bloody Valentine formed in Dublin. Um, we're going to talk about, um, slow dive and ride later and they're both Brit or english bands um so and i bring that up because Britpop, like record label signs oasis that's ominous like Britpop's gonna take off right after this and basically destroy it um to where the critical cachet just tanks so my bloody valentine actually kind of serendipitous that they like just dropped out at 1991 because they more or less avoided that backlash that slow dive didn't we'll talk about that in a minute um I think in describing shoegaze, I've more or less given you like what you can expect on Loveless. So I, I don't want to go like too in depth here in the way that I do on some other albums, um, but like that's the general vibe of it. <clears throat> and I think what sets My Bloody Valentine apart from the other bands is one shields, but two, it is very much a, a wall of sound. Like there's a certain I think aggressiveness to the mixing into the productions on Loveless that we won't necessarily see all the time in the other two albums. Um, and I've been thinking about this, about Loveless as like the cure meets Sonic Youth. Um, sort of those big emotional, like romanticist scapes of the cure, particular around Disintegration, which is an album I am super excited to talk about when we get to that finally. <laughs> um, with Sonic Youth's uh, experimental guitar theatrics. Um, and I'm not saying like that's how they conceive of themselves because Sonic Youth and My Bloody Valentine are coming up around similar times. So um, you get kind of the American and the British versions of like, how do we take rock music and just like blow it up and make it different? And I think with Sonic Youth, that becomes like, we're going to explode it outward and it's going to sound supercharged and just really like tangibly exciting um and my bloody valentine and a lot of the shoe bands are going to be like well let's crater it in we're going to make it super insular and super um uh just hazy and smoky and misty and like we're going to break it down by kind of exploding it inward um uh what else do i want to talk about here i mentioned only shallow uh which is one of just my favorite tracks from the 90s in general um and it's famous for Shields' glide guitar. Um, so he's basically taking a slide guitar line, mixing a ton of tremolo into it. And it sounds like it's out of a horror movie, really. And um, uh, Belinda Butcher 
is singing on that track and like just very like i don't know very calming calming like ethereal uh, tone to her voice like it's super relaxing but then you get shields just blaring this this glide guitar at you um and that is sort of the paradox in which a lot of these are not paradox but like the juxtaposition in which a lot of these songs live um they can be super calming and comforting and like you're getting into a nice comfy warm bed and then there's just like this nightmarish blast from somewhere or like you know i think a lot of millennials we can relate with you lay down at night and it feels all cozy and then the anxiety hits you and like i don't know that's sort of the experience of listening to some of these songs i think um and or just like the the ups and downs of dreams and nightmares and um kind of living through all of this but i think too you know i mentioned contemporary genres that we can hear shoegaze in but if you listen to things like uh come in alone or what you want to I, you can hear in that like some of the riffs and melodies that most nine like late 90s rock is going to pull from um and it's such that, and I think this is true of most of these albums, that like I kept hearing moments where I'm like, that sounds like something. And then it became, that sounds like so many things that I can't pick a thing. But like you can hear a lot of 90s music in particular coming out of these songs. Um, sometimes the song, um, it's like a soft ballad of a one night stand, but then there's like this sinister fuzziness to all of it. Like it's very ominous but also never gets to the point of like explosion or it's a full release so you're just left with like this kind of simmering dread the whole time um and the opening line in that one turn my head into sound i think that's a just kind of a great thesis for this album in general um and probably for shoegaze in general just turn my head into sound that's kind of what we're working with here uh, something like Blown a Wish gives us a great sense of, you know, I kind of talked about how sometimes never really has that explosion moment. And I think Blown a Wish gives us faints a lot where it's like, oh, here's like from all the songs we know, from all the rock music we know, here's where that moment's going to be. And then it resists those every time. And like you can hear it kind of come up in the melody and then it like slinks back and is like vaguely atonal for a second and it's like a dying engine or like you're trying to start the car and it revs up and you're so close and then it dies back down um and one of the, the great lines in that once in love i'll be the death of you and so i think it mirrors that very well that like that excitement of love you're like almost there and then i'll be the death of you um so the music really tracking with the lyrics in this way that it like it it's all of a piece it all needs to be together you can't really take out one part because then the song becomes completely different um and of course that's true of any song but like it's especially true here where you just get an entirely different mixture and you won't even hear the same kind of hallmarks so that's loveless very quickly i think explaining shoegaze was the more important thing there um but loveless as this uh, it's it's the titan of the genre it's the one that's always put on top and i think rightfully so and all these years later nearly 30 um i think it's still a very exciting album and we have tim for confirmation if you've never heard it before i think you could listen to it today and like it might be something that you dig um so anything else you want to say about loveless any moments that stood out to you that i didn't really mention uh, first thing that stands out to me, and this is just self-congratulations, but when you said 
that it reminded you of The Cure, I felt very, very vindicated because that is what I thought. And I don't usually have thoughts that are like, oh, look at me noticing which band that's like. So that was big. I like that. Um, more seriously, uh, When You Sleep is a song I feel like I could just like listen to over and over again. Like that one, uh, like it, the whole album is terrific. And there are some things happening all the way through that I think you did a good job of noting. Um, I don't know, man. Like When You Sleep, I could just like put that on a playlist and listen to that a couple times a week forever, probably. I already did a few times. <laughs> like, when the album was over, I, like, went back and did that one again. I think that's another important point about these albums, that they are ones that are sort of compulsively listenable. Um, and, uh, right, and part of that is just what, what, like, sort of the goal of the music in itself. Like, it's just stuff that you can kind of get lost in. Um, and that it's, like, they resist kind of the typical structure we expect in most ways. And I think that helps that it does become sort of compositional in that way. And like, they're just stuff that you can keep listening to and listening to. And it's not that you'll find like a new little trick or part every time, although you certainly could. Um, but that like, you'll just have a different kind of experience with it every time. Um, like there are songs let's say from like block party that like I could listen to over and over and over again and always find some, some new little piece. Um, but with something like loveless, it's going to be, it just hits me differently every time. And like, it's a, it's a different headspace that I can enter every time I listen. So in that way, like they never really get old. Um, um, they, they like, you never really expect what's going to happen each time. Um, so let's move on. We'll go to Slow Dive now, who, and their 1994 album, Suvlaki, which uh, is the one I was ambiguously referencing before that is pretty much always put number two on the list of Shoegaze albums. Um, it's number two on the Pitchfork, it's number two on, I think, every other one that I've seen, except maybe one, where I think it was number three. Um so this is like regularly considered after Loveless, this is the one. Um, but it's a different affair. And Slow Dive is a band that, so this one comes out in 1994, which is basically the end of Shoegaze's prominence. And Slow Dive is really going to take critical hits after this and basically be knocked down entirely uh, in favor of the rises of... Yeah, in the British press anyway, like Oasis of Blur, of Pulp, of um, Elastica, of you know all those Brit bands we know, um, Brit pop bands. I mean, but Suvlaki, I think when it's released, does get good reviews. It's like, okay, this is a good thing, and then it's just sort of a backlash, like kind of the kill your father's moment. And then Slow Dive came out in like 2017, and I remember this moment actually. I don't know that it was literally a surprise release, but it like an album just came out and everyone was all excited again. So they're, they're getting the um, reappraisal that I think they are very much due because this is a good band. Um, and this is a band that if you read those shoegaze lists, like I did, you're going to see a lot of their output on there. Um, <clears throat> part of that is because they just have more albums than my bloody Valentine, but most bands do. So where loveless is more aggressive, I think, and not in the like, praying sense but just like there's so much happening and there's so many kind of uh different pieces to it and different sonics to it that like it can feel like a wall coming at you or like descending upon you suvlaki is much more calm and it's like you know if, if 
I think thinking of the ocean for all these albums is, is a good metaphor, a good analogy. If we think of Loveless as sort of giant waves cresting and hitting you, and then everything recedes back for a minute, and like that continuous, tumultuous kind of ocean existence. Um, Suvlaki is gentle waves, like you're just kind of floating out at sea, and like it's just taking you where it wants to go, and it's um, meandering in many ways, which can be relaxing at times, and then also kind of existentially threatening at times, I think. Like there are certain moments on this album where it just goes so slowly, so deliberately, and I'm like, that's super interesting. And also this feels wrong now, the more I listen to it, because we're so not conditioned for that. Um, so, you know, Kevin Shields is breaking down rock largely in the studio and like with the effects and just seeing what different noises can I make? What different sounds can I get? Um, slow dive is doing that, but I think also there's a sort of purposeful slowing down and like deconstruction in that way of just sound of like, how can I play this so differently that it feels, um, both calming and then also kind of threatening at the same time. So opening tracks, Allison and Machine Gun, um, basically are drowsy pop songs with like some sci-fi synth flourishes in there. And this is kind of what I'm talking about though. Like the drums in those sound bored for a while and then it's like why do they sound so slow like why is it like they're lurching so much ahead <laughs> and you can hear in the, in the strumming of chords you can basically hear every string as they move down like as the pick moves down the, the the strings you can hear kind of everyone in the chord which is so unusual and like it's really interesting at first and then it's kind of like off-putting um and i think that's that's kind of how i think about suvlaki in general um that it's slowing down to an almost absurd degree and that itself makes everything kind of hazy and out of focus and kind of dreamlike because it's like am, am i really experiencing it like this like it feels so different um but of course in the mixing and the production you still get everything kind of working together um you're getting a lot of um <clears throat> male-female harmonies, which is kind of a, a running theme through a lot of these shoegay ba shoegaze bands. Um, very focused on melody in that way, very focused on, um, you know, effects and how do we bring everything together and, you know, give you that, right, again, those waves. Like, it's not independent pieces, like, shooting out of the water. It's the water itself. Um, it's just a gentler affair overall. Um, and in Allison and Machine Gun... I think they're great tracks that they're the opening to, I think is, is awesome because if you go and listen to this after this episode, um, I think you'll get a good sense of what slow dives up to with those two. Um, but it's also sort of, um, like proto chromatics in a way, um, which we're also going to talk about them in a later episode, but they are Tim. Do you know that name offhand? Only from the, the list from the list okay they're also the house band in twin peaks uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite thing um but it's sort of proto them in a way because like if you remember when they show up like these very slow dreamy songs um that like are just it's kind of like guided meditation in a way like they're taking you in to this 
soundscape and then slowing everything down and making you focus on every breath, on every strum, on every drum hit, on every individual piece. Um, 40 Days um, starts with what I've described as like a train blast at the beginning. Like you get sort of the train horn, but it's like sort of faded into the background and you get these moments where in any other genre we would expect solos and slow dive is very like it's just very interesting how they play around with those moments i think um out of the three i think they do that in the most um i don't know i guess unusual and kind of compelling ways like all of them are breaking down traditional structure in some way but like slow dive really gives us those moments of like here's where a solo would be now let us noodle and do this other thing um but also in the song, you can really hear the influence on things like Dream Pop. So mentioned Radio Department in the Sonic Youth episode. So they're going to make a reappearance here. So if you think of something like Radio Department or like Beach House, is probably a name that my, many more listeners are going to know. Um, I think you can hear a lot of them in Slow Dive and in Suvlaki in particular. Um, but you can also hear the beginnings of like noise rock and noise pop and even some of the Heartland kind of synth rock that's become at least critically famous the last few years. Stuff like the War on Drugs or Thunder Dreamer where, um, you know, the synths and the guitars are working together to give you sort of that, that wave of comforting sound but then they move into like blistering solos and like kind of shoot you into space from there um and so again they're up to something different than shoegaze um but i think in something like suvlaki you can hear how a lot of these 21st century subgenres that are really popular um or, or that a lot of listeners respond to or that they can enjoy if they if they learn about them um slow dive is at the head of a lot of this um i think these bands in general are at the head of a lot of what's appealing to us in the 21st century and a lot of what ended up in in various realms of pop music and again i think the album in general it's like you're floating out at sea or like it's nighttime on the beach and you just kind of hear the waves slowly cresting and slowly lapping and you're just under the stars and it's that relaxing moment um but there's just this constant like something happening uh sing is a great instance of this i think we have kind of a babbling like in the sense of like a babbling brook like that sort of sound or like aqueous guitar line um it's very watery and i think from sing on we we definitely get that watery sense in most of these songs uh for example the echo effect on here she comes which is very shimmery um like there's an acoustic gentleness to that like uh, sort of like timid strumming behind everything but then we get this very shimmery very watery very um <clears throat> again like babbling kind of effect over it um and then dagger which it bears mentioning here this album and the, the third one we're going to talk about there are a ton of different editions of them i'm working with the original british releases as far <laughs> as i can tell so suvlaki as far as we're concerned today ends at dagger which is the 10th song you can also get editions that have a bonus disc there are remastered versions now there are versions with live music on them like there, there's a ton of different ones but we're going to work with what i'm deeming the original which is 10 songs long it ends with dagger um um and dagger itself is different from everything else um 
a ton of reverb in the song. Like it sounds huge, but there's also like it's so quiet behind the reverbed vocals that that hugeness becomes far away in a way. Like it becomes an echo effect. It becomes like this is something happening so far away that by the time the sound hits you, it's it's encircling you. It's enveloping you. Um, it's it's big, but it has that kind of smoky like a dream logic to it. And but otherwise, it's like a pretty standard acoustic song, just an acoustic guitar song. But again, like the way that these these bands are able to employ effects and to employ studio techniques just gives these songs totally different feeling and makes them about feeling more than it makes them about what's happening on the on individual instruments. Um, I was going to read a bit of the lyrics from Dagger um, because it, like. It, like right, I like lyrics. I think we've seen that in a lot of these episodes. Um, I think they can be illustrative in many ways. I think they are less important on Shoegaze albums, but no less engaging if you actually get into them, if you can actually hear them. Um, and on this song again, we get another line that I think is a good thesis for Shoegaze in general. The world, the world is full of noise. Yeah, I hear it all the time. You know, I am your dagger. You know, I am your wound. I thought I heard you whisper. It happens all the time. Uh, these are these are albums that are, um, or a, another line that shows up in in the verses that I really like. I didn't really lose you. I just lost it for a while. I just think that's a super compelling couplet. But these albums in general are very intimate very sexual honestly loveless in particular is a very sex focused album and 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 not in like raunchy or cringy ways like they're very again very intimate very focused on the connection that happens in sex and i think in a lot of the songs and a lot of the soundscapes we hear right that unity um but that's perhaps where they get where, where instruments sound like they're fighting with each other. Um, it's that moment of connection that maybe isn't totally connection. And like, when is it coming together into this transcendent moment? And when does it sound like everything is fighting each other? Um, when is it not all locking together? Um, but just in that, that last, that sort of that chorus that I read, you get the emphasis on noise. Um, you get the emphasis on sound, on thinking you hear it, you hear it but you don't but maybe you did of whispers that maybe are dreams or maybe are echoes of you know i am your dagger you know i am your wound of that of the complicated um relationships that so many of these songs are about um so i think dagger like sonically is different from a lot of what's happening on suvlaki but i also think in it you can hear a lot of what's what's vital to understanding slow dive and what's vital to understanding their their brand of shoegaze um, and to understanding what the genre is up to in general. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention Suvlaki's Space Station, which is the closest, I think, to My Bloody Valentine on this album. And my God, that bass groove. Uh, It's so warm, it's so soothing, and there's so much clatter happening over it. Like, I think, you know, they called it Space Station, and I think if you think of... um, I don't know, sort of that like sci-fi outer space vibe. That's a lot of what you're going to get from the the guitars on this. Um, 
think like some early muse stuff maybe and you get kind of that like hyperactive space vision um but there's just such a warmth to it that uh, underneath in the beats in the in the rhythm that keeps you grounded and again it's like maybe you're floating out at sea and maybe this is a rougher moment or like you're having that moment between consciousness and subconsciousness of like realization or like of just total drifting off but that that warmth of that base is always there to bring you back um and this was a moment where i, I rather than a, like it sounds like so many things i can't pick a thing i could pick a, th- a thing here and it was in the meantime by space hog which also has an incredible baseline so there's our space hog reference for the <laughs> for the series <laughs> um Anything on Suvlaki, Tim? Um, again, moments that like I didn't point out that stood out to you or, or anything you want to hear more about it? I was just sort of... Um, I'm glad you said the thing about how it sounded surprisingly acoustic in places, and especially on Dagger, which, um, I mean, not to steal the next album's Thunder or anything, but the last, the last track on both of them just felt so unlike the rest of the album and felt sort of less shoegazy than the other ones. And this one really did seem, um, Dagger in particular seemed almost like coffee house-ish. Like that was something you could, you could go to coffee works on a Tuesday or something and, and hear the, the guy playing guitar, just doing that by himself. Um, no, I, I think, I think the, uh, the part of this I liked was definitely more the first half, the Allison machine gun and so on, like that particular section I don't know. I just sort of enjoyed that more, though. I don't know that I could say why. Yeah, no, I, like I do as well. I think you're right about Dagger too. That it is something you could, like, you could hear someone playing a solo version of it. Um, but I do think, while that's true, I think that that speaks to the accessibility of this and the and the sort of lasting influence of it. Mm-hmm. But also, you're definitely losing something if you get that without the the production trickery, without the reverb, without the slight distortions and it may only sound like that to me it may only sound like that to me because the rest of it is like you know so heavily into that echoing uh business that you were discussing earlier like it may seem it may seem so so intimate and small not just for the lyrics sake but also because it is so much less than the rest of the album that it just contextually feels feels a little bit closer to you yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, but yeah, part of what I was just saying too is that like, I think Dagger's a great example. Like, you can hear how the song would be so influential and like pieces of it and so much else. But it's really hard to recreate what these bands are up to. So that like, their their legacy is long, um, but Shoegaze itself is still this distinct thing that like, um, people aren't necessarily doing shoegaze so much as they're pulling from it. Um, and I think with an album like Suvlaki, that is sort of your dream pop realm. That is, um, chill wave. That is, um, stuff like, like beach house or like the war on drugs to, to various degrees. Um, our, our second replacement option is, um, nowhere by ride which I consistently want to reverse those two and make the other one the band and the other one the album, but I have it straight now. <laughs> um, and Nowhere comes out in 1990. And Ride is an English band that formed in Oxford. And um, so this one is out before Loveless, and it's not quite hitting the like crest that 
that my bloody Valentine opens up. Um, though Rai does also have someone in the band who would become the bassist for uh, Oasis, which I think is a fun little connection. Nowhere is very different from Suvlaki. Nowhere is much louder, and it's much more chaotic, and there's a lot more happening here, and it feels more bandy in a way. And I think the shoegaze effect here comes from, you know, where slow dive it is, that sort of like everything's kind of slowly washing over you, um, where you're kind of floating out with them, um, that it's about... You know, the again, that solution just kind of taking you with it. Ride sounds like, or, or Nowhere sounds like, all of the instrumentalists are kind of like constantly fighting themselves on each song. That like there's this vying for supremacy in the mix. Um, and like that's disorienting in a different way. Um, and I think, like, it's produced such that all of them are given kind of equal standing. But then you can hear, like, it's much more about the the antagonism between guitars, between the drums trying to rise out of that, between, you know, what the rhythm and what the melodies are doing. Um, it's a much more chaotic vision of shoegaze, I think. Um, but of course, not like actually chaotic. Like these are incredibly well put together songs. Um, that's the only reason they work. Um, so I guess that, that, that chaos comes out of rigid organization, out of planning, out of, um, Probably a lot of jamming, honestly, I would expect. I don't know that for sure, but it seems like the type of album that that would be the case with. Um, but opener Seagull, you get this immediately. Um, the, I think the drumming through this album is just really interesting and probably the standout of the three in terms of what the drums are doing. Um, but they have that, like they're sort of reminiscent of kind of those loud classic rock drums. Um, and you can hear a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have exact comparisons here, but like you can hear kind of a Bonham or a Keith Moon in them. Like they have that kind of grandiosity to them. Um, but that's constantly fighting with the guitar lines, which are fighting with each other, which are fighting with the bass, which are fighting with the vocals. Um, but Seagull has a ton of distortion and pedal effect, and uh, like it's kind of like imagine Sonic Youth, who, who we've talked about. Um, but if they were like in a one-on-one -on -one guitar battle with themselves, um, where you have lines and riffs and just sounds kind of competing with each other for supremacy in the mix, um, and it's super compelling. I think like I, I'm probably making it sound like it's very kind of aggravating or very off-putting. Um, but somehow in all of that, it, it has that shoegaze effects of where you're just kind of lulled into it. Um, and you just sort of live in that space with it. But that said, I mentioned earlier how these bands tend to be very loud, like ride of the three is the one that you can imagine. Okay. This is a concert that would just absolutely like destroy my ears. Um, <laughs> And Vapor Trail, the second song, um, my question with this one is how many Britpop songs come from the opening of this one? Um, it's another moment of like, I hear so much in it, I can't pick a thing. But if you just listen to that opening, like you can hear kind of where British pop is going to go in the mid-90s. Um, you know, how that fusion of art or of alternative rock with um, like some... With pop sensibility, with a little bit of psychedelia, with um, 
um, kind of those more artistic or like art student flourishes. Um, so you can hear a lot of blur in there, but in other points on nowhere, you can hear like just the like straight up, let's go back to, to, to just making good old fashioned drunk rock that Oasis is going to work with. Um, I think you can hear a lot of those bands throughout nowhere. Polar bear opens with what I have written is some how soon is now shit. I'm wondering if Tim got that, got that vibe too. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, but just what? So, how soon is now? Probably a much better reference point. But if everyone can remember what Morrissey is doing on that, or not Morrissey, what Johnny Marr is doing on that one, um, with like the guitar echo effects and the like, dun 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 dun. Opening at the beginning, um, Polar Bear kind of openings opens with something reminiscent of that. And it's a song that like keeps keeps threatening to give us the boom moment that like is riding that um, kind of tremoloed, echoed "How soon is now" line that, but it never really releases. Like it just keeps going with that, and like that just keeps riding through the song, and we're waiting for that moment of okay, when is it finally going to break open? And it kind of does around two minutes it starts to break open a bit and we go more to like a straight four four beat with the drums with a lot of ooh-ahs um uh kind of like echoed through the vocals and like that's sort of a shift but we're still kind of waiting of like okay where's the full blow-up moment um and then we get into like instead of that straight four four it's like these falling kind of drunken drum rolls an acoustic strumming comes into the mix and again like they're very good at like let's just keep shifting the expectation but not totally fulfilling it and there's again that that smith's reminiscent guitar line that kind of sireny um guitar sound stays the whole time that never leaves it's there the whole time it never shifts it never changes like it does and how soon is now and we get everything kind of working around that but in all of these songs there's something that keeps us grounded that doesn't change that keeps us like it's basically taking us through the chaos that's happening around it whether that's kind of the siren guitar line on polar bear whether that's or the bass in Seagull, um, whether that's the drums at various points, whatever it is, there's something that keeps us connected in that way. And then everything's kind of fighting around that. Um, but it kind of, like, it takes us through that that kind of psychedelic dream space, uh, that clashing space of everything else. Um, likewise on Paralyzed, which there's the constant threat of more, but it just kind of ebbs and flows. Again, like waves. The cover of Nowhere is... Um, just a, like unknown ocean picture, lake, could, whatever it is. Maybe it's a lock. I don't know. Um, but you see a wave like right before cresting. So it looks like either it could be a wave or it's one of those parts of the ocean where like two different ocean currents are hitting. So you get that kind of like weird line. Um, anyone who's been out to deep sea maybe knows what I'm talking about, but like there's like just this line that goes through the water and it could be a wave. It could be that moment of connection. You're not really sure. Um, and it's, yeah, it's an image that you just kind of get lost in. Like you keep staring at it and like nothing changes, but like, there's just a lot there that you can kind of dig into. It's surprisingly complex and paralyzed. I think works really well with that image that 
there's that constant threat of like, okay, the wave's going to break, but then it just kind of ebbs and flows, and maybe it's those two currents just hitting each other back and forth. Um, though finally around about 320, it breaks into what to me sounds like what Block Party does when when uh, Russell LeCang just totally rips open a solo. Um, another band with huge pedal effects and i've seen them live and russell's pedal board is just insanely huge um (laughs) but it's like finally it breaks into that moment and that like that's the closest comp to me that like when block party really rips uh, or really lets loose on something like say helicopter um that's kind of the mode we're in for a minute on this song and again like there you just kind of see like the wide influence that an album like this has. Um, but it's different from slow dive. Slow dive is uh, again, more the dream pop, more kind of the synthy heartland rock stuff. Nowhere I think is having more influence on band, like a block party um, or kind of those mid two thousands British bands in that way. Uh, a lot of the Brit pop stuff. I think you can hear a lot of the beginnings of that in, in nowhere. Um, um, a lot of like the metal that draws on shoegaze, I think that kind of the spirit of that comes from from nowhere, if not the sound itself, but bands like Greet Death or Slow Mass, um, or certain moments of like a Baroness, um, who who is not a shoegaze metal band, but like they have songs where they kind of move into that, and vocally it sounds very much like Ride. Um, it's kind of a very low, muddy kind of vocal throughout the whole thing that sometimes goes into um, <clears throat> more of a howl, but it's a it's a low register kind of muddy thing in the mix. Um, and even a Deaf Heaven, who uh, is a much harder band, but they have moments where they sort of recede back into this like let's just let's shoegaze the mix up. Um, so. I think between all three of these, you see kind of these different legacies and how they've influenced different different modes of popular music now. Um, so I think they're all important in their own way, even though I doubt many, if any, listeners have heard of uh, Slow Ride. I doubt any have heard of Ride, or Slow Dive. I doubt any have heard of Ride. Um, and then, like, there were other bands in the genre that maybe have more name recognition, like uh, Jesus and Mary Chain and the Cocteau Twins are adjacent they're somewhere between shoegaze and dream pop um both bands we'll talk about later on but also ones like galaxy 500 or mercury rev like i feel like these are bigger names perhaps that have been heard of but um i don't think it's a genre that's generally um that well known and i don't know i find that kind of sad um like with Suvlaki, this is another album that has a ton of different additions, and I should have said at the beginning, I'm working with the original again, and it cuts off at eight songs. The last one is Vapor Trail, um, which is, t- as Tim mentioned earlier, is like just sort of a different thing happening, um, but I think one of the most interesting songs um, uh, in, in the whole thing. Um, so that's... Kind of my overview of Shoegaze itself and of these three, I think, really important albums, not only to this genre, but to a lot of the pop music that we're listening to today. Um, and that's sort of how I've been wanting to look at them, that like each of them has a different version of what they're doing with Shoegaze. They're certainly of a piece in that way. Like they're they're all up to that same um, 
kind of ethos of shoegaze, but you have different visions at each point. And I think we can hear a lot of what comes after in all of these albums, even if they're not regularly referenced as like, yeah, that was definitely an influence on me by artists. Um, I think they very much set the course for different um, popular things through the rest of the nineties and through the 21st century. So do you want me to hear? Do you want to hear me talk about them individually anymore? Or do you, are you ready to decide? How are you feeling here, Tim? Was that the spiel? No, I could, I could make a different spiel. That was just sort of a summary. <laughs> well, go do the do the spiel because I'm I'm most of the way there, but I'm willing to see if if something you say like twists me in a different direction. Because having listened to to both, I feel better about like, you know, making a, a snap decision on, on that rather than, you know, whatever, whatever else. All right, cool. So we talked about Loveless. We talked about My Bloody Valentine. They're the kind of the paragon of this whole thing. And I think in that album, you can hear, uh, I think you can listen to that and determine like, is shoegaze for me or not? Um, Slow Dive and Ride have different visions, different versions, different brands of shoegaze, though certainly they're united in that um, everything in the mix and the production kind of works at an equal level, and it's focused on sound itself as meaning uh, and living in different sonic textures and sonic worlds. Slow Dive's version of this is much gentler. Um, you know, if we continue with the ocean analogy, uh, it's a <clears throat> sort of so slow floating at sea. Um, you're definitely not moving anywhere in a hurry. You're just sort of at the mercy of the individual ripples and individual waves, and those go slowly. You can feel each one, and you hear that in a lot of the mix. You can hear all of uh, all of the strings being strummed during a chord. You can hear each individual drum hit. Um, in a way different from, you know, a lot of other music. Like there's a, there's a real emphasis on each one that like you're kind of following them instead of hearing like the beat as a whole. Um, and through a lot of Suvlaki, I think we hear, you know, what you could generally describe as like drowsier pop songs, um, in that way. And, and a lot of more aqueous and watery production and music. And it's very fluid in that way. And you can hear in that the beginnings of stuff like Beach House, like the radio department, like the war on drugs, uh, this dream pop, this, this synth rock, this um, kind of a gentler but effects-heavy pop and rock that's going to be... It, it's particularly big right now. I think that's definitely the case. Um, and with Ride, we get the harder vision of this, the louder, the more aggressive, the more um, biting and um, sound in conflict, really. Um, you're lost into a, a, a fluid mix all the same, but you're really lost in uh, things fighting each other. Um, so if slow dive is we're just sort of gently floating out at sea and feeling each ripple um ride perhaps is we're on a boat and waves are just hitting us from everywhere and you're having that singular experience but there's stuff crashing into you constantly um 
So it, it, there's a lot of squall, there's a lot of distortion, there's a lot of serrated edges, really. Um, and you can hear each one. Um, you can hear all of those, like, hitting you. Um, and it's more of a setup for, like, shoegaze metal, stuff like Greet Death and Slow Mass, and more of a setup for, I think, um, Britpop in certain places, songs like Seagull or Vapor Trail. Um, we can hear maybe the beginnings of, of Blur and Oasis in those. And I think like there's a a certain yeah you know, I mentioned the reverb on Dagger for Suvlaki, but I think there's a certain reverb and lushness throughout Nowhere um, that's really important. Like it feels bigger in that way. It feels more um, active, I guess, in that way. Um, that there's a lot more happening at once, and it's all of it's very noticeable to the point where it all comes together, and you're you're stuck in a similar place. Um, but it's just more aggressive in that way. So that's sort of the spiel, that in both of them, I think we see long shadows of how they're still influential of different things that they influence. They're just sort of different realms. And I think show that like how important shoegaze really is to our like contemporary music context. Um, but you get sort of different visions with each. Um, you know, whether that's what you want, the gentler waves of Suvlaki or the... Um, the more violent and chaotic crests of nowhere. So I think that's the spiel. All right. Yeah, that was a good spiel. And I'm going to go in a completely different direction from the spiel, uh, because why not? I'm reminded of what you said, um, what you said earlier about, about loveless that I was sort of taken with and how shoegaze is, you know, throughout the, the genre, but on that album too, this idea, um, of, of course, it's very instrumentally difficult and very technical, and you have your enormous pedals and so on and so forth, um, which force you to, like, look down. But it also, like, forces you to look at you a little bit. And there is some there is some expectation of when you're listening to it, it sort of sends you inside yourself. So I don't know. I'm actually... I'm glad you said that, because based on the spiel, I don't know that I would have had an easy time figuring out which one of them to choose because they are just like, it sounds like they're two sides of a coin when you phrase it like that. Um, but based on that idea that it sort of sends you within you, uh, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Suvlaki here. Um, take, taking slow dive because just sort of like thinking about, you know, again, looking at my notes, more of these things remind me of that, that sense of sending you within yourself and if it is two sides of a coin instrumentally, technically, musically, then I kind of want the one that speaks to me a little bit more strongly in terms of that second definition. So I guess what I'm saying is that it only took us 14 episodes to go full semiotics. Yeah. Um, that's too long for us. It should have been sooner. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a good choice. And I uh, I like that you're thinking about it along those lines. And I think both of them send you inward, but again, just in different ways where, um, uh, and I think it helps to kind of look at when they're released here too, because Suvlaki in 1994 feels more like the, um, again, more of the influence, something like a Boney Vare, where you listen to that music and we're sort of trained at this point that like, okay, this is time to think about me and like to be in my own head. And Suvlaki has more of that to it. Like, I think it feels more like the music that makes us do that now. Um, but coming out in 1990, I think Nowhere is, is on the other side of this 
right? Classic rock isn't dead yet, and it has more hallmarks of that. Um, but it keeps you inside by just kind of, like, anytime you try to get out, it just sort of hits you with something new. So it's sort of like it's batting you back in constantly. Um, I think both are very worthwhile experiences. I think both are necessary. Um, but yeah, it is sort of like, uh, I think we're, we know where, I think it sort of depends on like what musically, what you're trained to, what you're trained to understand is like, okay, it's time to be insular. Um, and we get kind of the two different realms of that between nowhere and between Suvlaki. So yeah, I think in general, like, you can see like the, the outreach of this genre on, on pretty much everything. Um, but yeah, like there's different moods to each. They're, they're, they're very similar, but it is two sides of, of the same coin. It is a Mobius strip in a way it is. Um, what kind of mood are you looking for in all of this? Um, <clears throat> so I would have been excited to see either album go on, but I, I think Suvlaki is a great choice. Um, and as regularly, it's pretty much the consensus choice after Loveless. It seems fitting that if we have a shoegaze topic, that <laughs> Slow Dive is going to be the one to go on here. <laughs> Um, so today we looked at My Bloody Valentine's 1991 album Loveless, a generally considered classic from a band that would disappear for many, many years, finally released something else in 2014. Uh, I'm not sure that we'll ever hear from them again. And with Loveless, we looked at the category of shoegaze. So a pretty standard category today, but an important one, I think. Um, because it is a genre, as we discussed, that I think has a lot of influence and has a lot of legacy and has a lot of footprint in most of the music that makes us feel good, that makes us happy, that we listen to today. And importantly, that makes us look inward. And there are two replacement titles were Slow Dive's 1994 album Suvlaki and Ride's 1990 album Nowhere. And Tim has chosen Suvlaki. So Slow Dive moves on. Thank you for listening to this episode, and stay tuned for part two, where Tim will not be talking about shoegaze, and indeed talking about movies that look much more outward than inward, I think. <laughs> um, and the AFI title for that episode is going to be 12 Angry Men. If you want to hear more about us, what we do, other stuff we write, uh, check out my Spotify or Tim's letterbox. Or if you need to catch up on episodes, um, see the method behind the madness of subtitles, or just go back and check out. We now have a kind of deep well of episodes, so go back and check some old ones. Uh, please visit our website at subtitlespodcast.com. And again, stay tuned for part two.